Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So great to have you with us. Today's the fourth and final installment of the If Only series. And right out of the starting gate, I want to ask a question. Have you ever listened to Jen Susan or one of the other Community Christian Church soloists sing a song, and after they finish their ministry, and as the congregation has erupted in applause and appreciation, have you ever said or thought, if only I could sing like that? If only I had an amazing voice. How many have ever said that? I sure have. Not necessarily a voice like Jen's, but a compelling musical talent. Someone who could write a song or sing or play an instrument and in the process command an entire congregation uh, to respond. If only I had more talent. If only I had a talent like that. You know, about a month ago, uh, maybe even several months ago, I played in a charity golf outing for Key of Hope, one of the missions that we support here. Uh, They're located in Durban, South Africa. And during the outing, I watched golfers hit the ball off the tee a mile long and straight as an arrow. And when the ball landed, it fell in the fairway. Not in the rough or in the trees or at their feet. It went a long way. And I thought to myself, if only I could hit a golf ball like that. A few weeks ago, we watched the Summer Olympics together. And I marveled at those that could run and jump and swim and and balance themselves on a tiny little beam. And I thought to myself, Lord, what happened when you fashioned my body? I mean, seriously, what were you thinking? What was that all about? Ever think that? Ever feel that way? Get a little frustrated, maybe? Upset, even a bitter at God? For thinking that maybe he cheated you out of something? Sure, changed you or passed you over? Friend, it's just human nature to think like that. To look around you and notice all of the tremendous and wonderful talents and abilities found in the world today. Compare yourself with those kinds of people and feel so inferior and insignificant. It's just normal. But this is what I want you to hear me say this morning. I want this to come across loud and clear. God has made you great. I'm going to say it again. God has made you great. The operative word being you. God has expressed to you, he's given to you a talent and a quality and a gift no other person on the face of the whole earth can match or rival. And that's not coming from me. That's not just my words or me trying to encourage you. This truth is found right in the word of God. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. In other words, I want you to get this. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. How many of us? All of us. Please understand, God is at work in your life. And he's gifted you. He's given you a measure or a deposit of his grace and his power. He's breathed his grace and his life and his goodness and greatness into you. But check it out. It's up to all of us to seek the Lord, discover the gift that God has given to us, and then with God's help, develop it. Each one of us has to take the time to go before the Lord, to lay ourselves before him, and to say, okay, God, what is it that you've called me to do? What is it that you want me to do? Because not everyone has athletic ability. And God bless those who try, but not everybody can cook or bake. Lord knows that's the truth. Not everyone is musical, mathematical, or managerial. But I promise you this, on the authority of God's word, not mine, God has his hand on your life. And God is continuing to work in your life. And he created you with a God-ordained specific purpose and plan. Don't question it. God knew precisely what he was doing when he called your life into existence. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. In his grace, his what? In his unmerited favor, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving, serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, then be encouraging. Makes sense, right? Encouragers are called to encourage, not discourage. Stop peddling bad news if you're an encourager. If your gift is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You see, these gifts and these talents here uh, that are represented in Romans chapter 12, uh, they're also referred to as the motivational gifts. And there's seven of them. Seven outstanding, significant, powerful, godly gifts and talents. And here's the good news. According to the word of God, we all have one, at least one, no exceptions. God has built this grace and this goodness and this greatness into each and every one of us. And here in this passage, Paul basically said, whatever it is that God has given you to do, whatever he has impressed upon your heart, do it well. Don't just do it. 
Don't go through the motions because that's what somebody told you you had to do as a believer. Do it with every, with every ounce of strength that you have, with all of your heart, passionately. Have the attitude, I'm all in. In other words, identify, and this is really important, identify and then intensify the charis or the measure of grace that God has passed along to you. Understanding in God's eyes, his gifting, what he has blessed you with, is the most important element in your life. It's the most important assignment. More important than how much money you make or how fast you can run. God has designed you a certain way. He's put gifts inside of you, and he wants you to seek him in order to fulfill and develop those gifts. Now, uh, not long after I got saved, and we're going back 46 years now, I sensed that the Spirit of the Lord was calling me into full-time ministry. I, I just felt it. it. It came shortly after my salvation. I, I just thought, and I had this impression in my heart, that God wanted me to preach the gospel message. It's very foreign to me, but that's what I felt. But in my own mind, this was going to be an impossibility, and it was never going to happen, because I had a tremendous fear of public speaking. And you've heard me talk about this before. And I had it bad. And how in the world are you ever going to be a, a representative for Christ, a preacher of the gospel, if you have that kind of a phobia? You see, I just couldn't get up in front of a group of people and communicate clearly. Something would always get in the way. And my mouth would fill up with cotton. And my, my mind would freeze and go blank. And I couldn't put two reasonable, understandable sentences back to back. And that's not an exaggeration. I wish it were, but it's not. In school, when my name was called, and I was asked to stand up in front of a group of people and, and share, I choked because I had this overwhelming sense of anxiety and fear and apprehension. And it held me back. And I'm not the only one. Because according to the latest uh, statistics, right around 75% of all Americans, so better than 7 out of 10 people, say when it comes to public speaking, they have intense anxiety. I'm talking about people who are good at talking in a group. They have no problem expressing themselves in a small group of people, but they absolutely freak out when the spotlight is put directly on them. That was me. And so when I got saved, and the Spirit of the Lord whispered to me and said, God has called you, he's created you to preach the gospel message. This is something that God has ordained from a long time ago. The devil said, we'll just see about that. And I came under tremendous spiritual opposition. The devil had a field day with me. He lied through his teeth. And he repeated the same message to me over and over again. And he said, it doesn't matter how hard you try or how much grace God has for you, you will never, emphasis, never, be able to overcome your fear. You will never get victory in this area of your life. And you know, for a while, 
I believed him. I believed that what he said was true. And in those days, when people heard about my radical salvation, that I was a police officer and I got saved, for some odd reason, they all wanted me to share my testimony publicly. You know, actually stand up in front of people, face to face, and tell my story. And so I just told them what the devil told me. I can't. I'm sorry. I'm just not available. And if they pressed me, I made excuses, and I told them I would get back with you, but I never did. And the funny thing is, they just kept asking. They wouldn't leave me alone. They said, give us a date, a month from now, six months from now. We want you to tell your story. And the Lord continued to put me in situations where I had to speak publicly, and I absolutely hated it. I agonized over each and every assignment. But then one day, when I least expected it, I was standing up in front of a group of people. It was a Sunday morning service at church. I was sharing a Bible verse of Scripture because the pastor made me do it. When suddenly the fear was lifted and I was set free. And for the first time in my life, I could actually look at somebody in their eyes without freaking out. I mean, before I had to look over everybody's heads. Now I could look right at somebody, and it wasn't so uncomfortable. And for the next 40 years after that, I had been working on this God-ordained teaching and preaching gift that he has given to me, the, the gift that he has created and called me to do. And I know what some of you are thinking. 40 years? That's, this is the best we got? Yeah. I get it. I get it. I'm so thankful I didn't buy into the devil's nonsense. I did not listen to his lies. What he whispered in my ear repeatedly over and over again. Remember, he told me, you can't do that. You'll never be able to do that. You'll never get victory in that. You see, the devil was able to exploit my weakness, and that's what he loves to do. He doesn't play fair. He takes our legs out from under us. But God, when he gives us an assignment, when he gives us a gift, he will sustain us. And the Lord continued to work in my life. He refused to give up on me. He believed in me. He showed me value, even when I didn't think I was very valuable. And somehow, during those rough months and years, I was able to open my heart to God and receive his grace. And I'm talking about his amazing grace. His grace that tells us it's sufficient for all things. And his power is made perfect in our weakness. And friends, that's really the only way that you're fully going to understand what it is that God has called you to do. The only way you're ever going to really surrender your life to him. You have to be willing to drop your guard Lower your own human fortifications and put your life into God's hands. Can't get away from that. You have to trust in him. Rely upon him. Believe that he knows what he's doing, that he's not a respecter of persons, and he has created you, and he has set you up for greatness. Because that's what the word of God says. When you have a measure of God in you, when you have the Holy Spirit in you, You're going to do amazing things. 
great things because it's not you, it's the God in you. And this relationship that I'm talking about this morning, this relationship of surrendering yourself to God and saying, okay, God, here I am. Whatever it is that you have ordained for my life, I am prepared, I am ready to do it your way. This relationship is beautifully illustrated in the Bible in the Old Testament. It's called the potter and the clay. Can I get you to say that? The potter and the clay. One more time. The potter and the clay. What an absolutely beautiful relationship this is. And the most important truth, the number one concept about this whole potter and the clay thing that you have to know is this. God is the potter. He's the one in charge. God is the master potter who gets the first word, the final word, and every word in between. Because he's God, he gets to design and fashion and shape the clay any way he chooses. But here's the problem. We want to be potter. We don't want God to be the potter and us to be the clay. We want to call the shots. And we want to determine the outcome. We want to be the artist that does the sculpting and the molding and the shaping. We want that to be our assignment. And so let me save you a whole lot of time and grief this morning. That's God's job. And he's good at it. He knows exactly what he's doing as the creator, as the designer. He is expert with clay. He absolutely knows how to work that clay. In fact, that's precisely what Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, 8. It's the exact terminology found in the Bible. We are the clay, and you, God, are the potter. Okay, we're the clay, he's the potter. We are all the work of his hands. And I can tell you, when God goes to work in a life, it may take him a while. It may take a lifetime. But when God is at work, he does amazing things. Amen. Transformation and change right before our very eyes that we would never believe possible. Because the Bible says that he does exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think or imagine. And a promise in the Bible is that what he has begun in our lives, he will complete. He will perform it to the day, to the last day. And so for the purpose of this message this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you three significant actions or three activities the master potter is currently involved in. Right now, right here. And chances are he's knocking on the door of your heart attempting to implement what I'm about to tell you into your life. Because this is what the master potter does. He's always at work. He's always shaping. He's always molding. He's always fashioning us into his image and likeness. So three activities. Are you ready? Number one, fix what's broken. Number two, fill what's empty. And number three, find what's lost. Fix what's broken. Fill what's empty and find what's lost. This is what the master potter is all about. Let's look at the first one. 
fix what's broken. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, this is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet. Here's what God said to him. Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house. And as you're there at the potter's house, I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him, the potter, working at the wheel. But the pot, or the jar that he was shaping from the clay, was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Okay, here we have a picture of a a jar or a pot of clay being fashioned and formed, and for one reason or another, it didn't come out right. But instead of becoming unglued and throwing the clay into the scrap pile, what did the potter do? He reworked the clay and he fixed it. He kept at it. And he looked at it and he saw that it was damaged. He saw that there were problems and he just kept fixing that jar. It was marred, broken, disfigured, damaged in his hands. But the potter was fully committed to taking that useless chunk of clay and turning it into a masterpiece. And right around 600 years later, a young rabbi by the name of Jesus started his earthly ministry. And as he was walking along one day, he came to the Sea of Galilee. And there he saw a flute maker cutting down reeds in order to make his instrument. But as he was going along, he discarded the bad ones. And he left a whole trail, a whole wake of bruised reeds. Do you remember what Jesus said? Immediately in his mind, he quoted the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And what did he say? A bruised reed, the master potter, would never break. A bruised reed, he would never break. How many know that the world has a lot of bruised people? Broken people, not just unbelievers. Friend, there is a whole slew of Christian people walking around with black and blue marks. And some of this bruising is self-induced. Because of disobedience, because of sin, because of wrong choices, bad decisions, it's led to having some problems. Some of the bruising has come at the hands of other people through no fault of your own. And still some other people are broken and they're bruised and they're hurting because of the church. Maybe this church, maybe another church. And that's not what the church is designed to do. And if you're here or you're listening or you're watching and you've been hurt from a, because of a pastor or a minister or through, through a church ministry, can I say this as sincerely as I possibly can? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. However, regardless of what has caused the bruising, 
Here's the prophetic word of the Lord, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Put the vessel back on the potter's wheel. Give the potter a chance to do his work because the potter is expert at reworking the clay and he's totally committed to restoration, reconciliation, and repair. That's what the potter does. He fixes what's broken. He also fills what's empty. And friend, you could be here today, sold out believer, in the very center of God's light, in the very center of God's will, doing everything that God has asked you to do, saying, I'm all in when it comes to serving the Lord. You can be passionate. You could be honoring God with your life, loving him with all of your heart, and still be empty on the inside. There could be an emptiness in your heart right now because of all of the uncertainties in the world, all of the craziness that's going on, coupled with life's disappointments, the storms that we go through and the tragedies that we have to deal with sometimes. That can be draining and it can be numbing and it can leave us empty. And sometimes the only answer that we have, the only hope that we have as believers is to take a deep drink of God's presence. That's why we spend so much time praying for his presence. That's why you hear that all the time. If you're in a prayer meeting, it doesn't matter where you're at. We are asking God to consume us with his presence, to just visit us and allow his presence to be here in a tangible way. We need his presence. We shouldn't take it for granted. The worship time allows the Lord to inhabit that praise and he comes and walks among us for that very reason, to fill our empty jars. You know, about a month ago, we had a guest speaker come in as a part of one of our sermon series. This particular guest that we had, he used to pastor his own church. He's currently leading his own ministry. He's, he has ministry going right now. And we asked him to come in and talk to us to bring a message to us. He came in empty. He was totally depleted and drained of his joy, didn't even know it. And during the worship service, God got a hold of him and filled his empty tank. Amen. It was obvious to all of us who were up here in the front row that God was doing something very special in his life. He was moved. It was, it, 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 it was just, he, he surrendered himself in the presence of God. And just before he walked up here to speak, he turned to me and said, wow, what a powerful and unique uh, worship service. Was, was this like unusual or do you have it every week? And I said, well, the presence of the Lord is unique and unusual every time. And it's powerful every time. But thankfully, God graces us with his presence. It's what we need. Friend, the Lord, the spirit of the Lord is in this place. He's graced us. I thank him every day because you can sense his presence. People who come into the church who know the Lord, they immediately sense that something's different here. The, the God is alive. We have to take advantage of that. We have to just present our empty bucket before the Lord and cry out with the same determination and the same passion that David had in Psalm 63, 1. Here's what David said. Oh, God, 
You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You know, we're involved in a lot of things these days. and We put a lot of our lives, a lot of effort into it. We've got to begin to seek God like this. To have an absolute desperation for his presence because I tell you, just one little drop from God makes all the difference in the world. It changes everything. And without his presence we'd be in a lot of trouble. And so I I encourage you, you come into the presence of the Lord, you come to church, whether you're here at home, worshiping in your car, just seek the Lord and say, here I am, Lord, would you fill me? I'm desperate for you. So God fixes what's broken, he fills what's empty, and then he goes after, and he wants to find what's lost. The Lord God always pursues the lonely and the lost. And you can trace this all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You find it in the, in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, because it is the heart of God. When Adam and Eve messed up, they disobeyed God, and they lost their way. Do you remember what they did? They hid from God. But God went after them. God pursued them, and he found them in their hiding place. And again, years and years later, a young rabbi by the name of Jesus began his earthly ministry, and he revealed this exact same loving, caring heart of the Father. And it was Jesus who said, the good shepherd, the one who cares about the sheep, The one who's interested in every little lamb sometimes will leave what? The 99 and go after the lost sheep. The one that's hurting, the one that's alone, the one that's struggling. Because the God we serve, he's the God of every one. He's the God of one. And he always goes after the hurting and the lonely and the lost. You know, for a moment, when you read through the Gospels, a man that God used in a powerful way in the book of Acts was a lost sheep. We learned all about that in lesson number one. His name was Simon Peter. Simon Peter called by God to be one of the original disciples, the apostle, someone who was going to greatly impact and influence the early church, and he completely blew it, denied Jesus three times. I mean, really messed up. And Jesus practiced what he preached. He went after him. He found Simon Peter, alone, lost, all afraid. And what did he do? He pulled him back in, and he restored him. Jesus went after Simon Peter because that's the heart of the Father. And this meant so much to Simon that, and impacted him in such a great way that he wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish or to be lost, but God's desire is for everyone. How many? Everyone to come to repentance, for everyone to be saved. And I can pretty much guarantee you right now, if you feel far from God, if you feel alone, God is reaching out to you. He's calling your name. He's trying to make himself available to you. And it was Jesus who said, 
that the master potter has come to seek and save the lost. Okay, I'd like to close out our time together this morning with the reading of a poem. Now, I'm not typically the kind of guy that likes to wax poetic, uh, but I'm going to try it today, okay? Now, now this poem, it was uh, written by Beulah Cornwall, and it's entitled The Potter's Vessel, and if for the last 15 or 20 minutes you've been wondering what all this was about, it's because of this poem, okay? The master was searching for a vessel to use. On the shelf there were many. Which one would he choose? Pick me, cried the gold one. I'm shiny and bright. I'm of great value, and I do things just right. My beauty and my luster will outshine the rest. And for someone like you, master, I would be best. But the master passed on with no word at all. He came to a silver urn. It was narrow and tall. I'll serve you, dear master, and I'll pour out your wine. I'll be at your table whenever you dine. My lines are so graceful, my carving so true, and my silver would always compliment you. Unheeding, the master passed on to the brass. It was wide-mouthed and shallow and polished like glass. Here, here, cried the vessel, I know I will do. Place me on your table for all men to view. No, look at me, cried the goblet of crystal so clear. My transparency shows my contents are dear. Though fragile am I, I'll serve you with pride, and I'm sure I'd be happy in your house to abide. But the master came next to a vessel of wood. Polished and carved, it solidly stood. Use me, dear master, the wooden bowl said, but I'd rather you use me for fruit. Please, no bread. Then the master looked down and saw a vessel of clay, empty and broken. It helplessly lay. No hope had that vessel that the master might choose to cleanse and make whole, to fill or to use. Ah, this is the vessel I've been hoping to find. I'll mend it and use it, and I'll make it all mine. I need not a vessel with pride in itself, nor the one so narrow it sits on the shelf, nor the one who is wide-mouthed and shallow and loud, not the one who displays its contents so proud, not the one who thinks he can do all things right, but rather this plain earthen vessel filled with my power and might. Then gently he lifted the vessel of clay. He fixed it and cleansed it and filled it that day. He spoke to it kindly. There's work you must do. You pour into others. I'll pour into you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we're asking in these closing moments that you would speak clearly to our hearts. Because we have one thing in common for sure here this morning. We are all your creation. You are the potter. We are the clay. And you know precisely and exactly 
what we need and how you created us. And I'm asking, Lord, in these moments, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each and every one of us, regardless of where we're at on the salvation spectrum, whether we've been Christians for a long, long time or we're still making that decision. Lord, I pray that in our mind's eye this morning, we would see you at work at the potter's wheel doing what you do best, fixing what's broken, filling what's empty, finding what's lost. Holy Spirit, work as only you can in these closing moments, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.